Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this episode of the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and I'm super pleased to welcome my guest today. He is a writer, director of the new film Mobland, Nicholas Maggio. Welcome to the Dana Buckler Show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. So I watch a ton of movies, whether it's in the cinema, whether it's DTV. I watch a ton. I get a lot of movies sent to me as well. I get a lot of requests for interviews, but I'm telling you, it's rare for me to watch a movie. And as soon as the credits are rolling, I am picking up my phone and I am going through social media and and I'm saying, I have to find him. And I found you and sent you a message and you're so gracious to, to write me back. And I invite you to do a guest spot on the show. And here we are. So Mobland, extraordinary film. And there's a lot I want to know about it. But before we get into sort of the heart of the movie, I would love to know a little bit about your background. You know, where did you grow up? You know, what did you want to do when you grew up to to use a line from your movie? Uh, So let's just start right there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. You know, I I told you I love movies. I love talking about them. Doesn't have to be mine. I love uh, people who nerd out about movies just as much as I do. So I'm stoked to do podcasts. I'm stoked to do years. Um, You know, I'm, I'm super happy to do these. This is kind of a fun little break for me. I was born in Louisiana, uh, New Orleans. Both parents born and raised in Mississippi. Uh, so I could they go back a few generations. So I was lucky enough to have those uh, Southern roots. And then I was raised mostly in Bakersfield, California. My dad was in oil, which is basically, uh, you know, like the military, you move around a lot. But Bakersfield is what I kind of claim is raised me. Went to high school there. Bakersfield Central Valley, uh, right in the middle, agriculture, uh, oil. So I grew up there. And then moved to LA to go to school uh, after that. And uh, I mean, that's 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 basically my childhood. Um, as far as what I want to do when I grow up, and I was, uh, I don't know, I think I went through scientist, cop, fireman. I did all the uh, the normal things a kid does. And then when I hit uh, high school, I fell in love with photography. My dad gave me his own, uh, his old Canon. Um, you know, he built me a dark room in my, uh, in the laundry room, bathroom. Uh, he, you know, I think once my parents, saw that grades was not going to be for me uh, i had my two older sisters were valedictorians and then there was me uh the black sheep and so i think once they knew that okay shit he's uh he's not gonna go to ivy league i think my parents i was it was really cool that they uh kind of fostered my love for uh the you know graphic arts whether it be graphic design photography and then also when i discovered film um, probably when i was like 13 14 years old um so they were always very supportive about that um, went to college for graphic design, basically because I didn't know what else to do. Took some photo classes and did that, and then uh, graduated school and then started a few different careers, landed in photography. Um, while always kind of uh, writing, I was always doing short films, uh, cinema, film, movies. You know, it was always a big part of my life, and I knew I wanted to come back to it. And I think, it, you know, by by luck or whatever it is, I was lucky to be in photography, advertising, directing commercials. Um, uh, I learned a lot. I, I, I met the right people and I just kept going. And then while also writing and then it, it you know, eventually landed with a, with a feature, which is kind of what every um, commercial music video director wants to do, or most of them at least. And that was definitely me. So before I ask sort of the inspiration for, for the script, for the, mm-hmm. for the screenplay, uh, no doubt there had to have been a couple movies that were influential to you growing up. And I mean, I, I know there's probably a hundred that would make that list, but just, yeah. just off the top of your head, what are a few of those quintessential <laughs> films that really influenced you? 
No, definitely. I, I talk a lot about reservoir dogs yeah. and, and, you know, it's mostly because I, it's, it's so, I remember every single detail about it when I was 13, I was visiting a friend in uh, Pittsburgh and we went to the video store and it was, I mean, seriously, it was the, the, the guy with probably the scraggly goatee behind the counter that was raised. And he like looked at us and he like slid the VHS over and it's like, you boys need to watch this. You know, it's one of those moments. And uh, I remember we watched it in his basement and I was, I was so blown away because it's the first time I had seen a movie that was like that. And it was the first time that I understood movies could be that. And they weren't, uh, you know, big and Goonies and, you know, all the amazing movies we got to be raised with. Um, but I didn't know movies could be that. Yeah. And honestly, that just, I, I tore down there. I started watching all of, you know, it was, we were so lucky to be a part of the, uh, the nineties Renaissance and have, you know, to be able to live through that, which I truly think was mostly kicked off with reservoir dogs as far as I'm concerned. Um, but man, that movie just set it off for me, just opened my eyes to what else was out there. You know, it's interesting that you say that cause I'm 45 years old. And so mm-hmm. I remember reservoir dogs as clear, totally. clear as day and being able to see Pulp Fiction in the theater at age 16 was a life changing moment. Totally. I mentioned uh, when I reached out to John Travolta after watching Mobland, I, sure. I sent him a long, you know, a long-winded text message like I do when I'm praising a film. And Absolutely. one of the things that I said to him, one of my quick reviews of the movie was, Mobland feels like a movie from the 90s. It feels like mm-hmm. something from that time period. And and to sort of get that correlation of Reservoir Dogs being that that really inspirational film for you. I see, I can kind of see it. So let's, let's jump in. Let's talk about Mobland. You know, you, you mentioned, yeah. you, you know, photography, commercial work, music videos, mm-hmm. things like that, but getting that feature film, when is sort of the genesis of I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write this because according to the internet research that I've done, and you can never trust what you read on the internet. <laughs> it's, it said that you wrote this in a, in a really short period of time. Can we talk a little bit about the screenwriting process? It's a, it's a pretty funny story. Let me give you the first part of it because you'll, you know, filmmaking is, is it's not just right place at the right time. That's an understatement. It is stars lining up and continuing to line up until that movie comes out. I mean, it's an unreal amount of pieces, you know, whether it's plates in the air that all have to come down on the table at the exact right time. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, it's nearly impossible. And I say that, you know, every kid or whoever listens to this absolutely still do it. It's great. But like, it's incredibly difficult. Um, so 2007, I quit my job at a corporate job designer. Um, I quit to be a writer. So I was like, you know, what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to write scripts. It's what I want to do. Let's do it. And, uh, you're 45. You remember 2008 and how much fun that was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so 2008 hit and man, everything went to shit. Nobody's paying, nobody's buying anything. Um, but before that I had written these two scripts for this producer and, uh, you know, one of them got made into a, a Jesse Metcalf movie. We, uh, my writing partner and I got written off of it. It was fine. I didn't care. This was, you know, fast forward 12 years or something. It got made. So anyway, um, at the time, my old writing partner was like, yeah, but they use the this piece and this. And I was like, bro, I don't care. Just, I, I, I you know, it doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm past that. And he was adamant about going after this producer to, you know, kind of get either credit or money, whatever. He went after him had no part in it, didn't care. I got a check in the mail for, you know, absolute bare minimum, whatever it was. That was, I mean, God, so that happened fast forward, like six years later, 
COVID. I'm writing because I'm just buckling down. Like, what else am I going to do? I'm just going to write these, you know, two or three scripts, whatever that I just had in my head. Let's, you know, I got nothing but time. So I finish a script and I, I, I shit you not. Three days later, I get this text message from a 310 number, a Los Angeles number. And it says, hey, I got this Bruce Willis film you'd be perfect for. And I'm like, the fuck? Like, I don't know anyone who knows Bruce Willis. I don't know anyone in the movie industry, you know. So I just wrote back and I said, don't know who this is. But funny enough, I just finished a script he'd be great for. This is obviously before all the news about his uh, his dementia and whatnot. But uh, and I get a text back and it says, no, thanks. This is Corey. I don't want to get sued. And I was like, Corey, I was like, holy shit. It was the producer that my old writing partner basically threatened to sue to get money from. So he randomly thought he was texting this other Nick, uh, an actor. So that happened. So I was like, I was like, what the fuck? That's just too crazy. So I was like, nah, that's too crazy. So I text him the PDF of the script I just finished. I'm like, well, read this. And he wrote back, not going to happen. So about two weeks later, I write him, hey, man, you read that script? He's like, nope. Two, three, four weeks later, I hit him back. Hey, man, want me to come over and read it to you? Nope. You know, about like you know, three, four weeks later, hey, man, I'll run you a bath. I'll do accents. Let me come over and read it to you. Finally broke him down about six months. And I get a text message randomly from Corey Large the producer and he says i read it i love it let's make it (laughs) so funny enough that was a different script altogether we started on that one we're going and uh in the meantime i wrote mobland and it wasn't called mobland back then we'll get to that but i wrote mobland i sent that to him the rough draft and he said fuck yeah let's go and so i had a few with him and he ended up doing mobland first so that's the story of Mobland. Getting my first feature was all because of a wrong number to a different pick. That is one of the most remarkable stories that I've heard a lot in this industry. I love it's, that. It's pretty fun, man. I got a, I got a, uh, a phone call from Corey the night before principal when I'm in Georgia. And he's like, bro, a wrong fucking number. <laughs> that's pretty serendipitous. But yeah, man, stars aligning. And Corey, I, I'm familiar with who he is. I know a lot of the movies mm-hmm. that he's produced. Mm-hmm. So he says, all right, Mobland, let's do it. All right. What? Yeah. What's the first? I mean, once we're, we're, we're greenlit, we're going to make the movie. Now it's about casting, right? Yeah. So, uh, and just to touch on, you know, I wrote Mobland in four days. Yeah. Uh, I'll call it American Metal. Yeah. And actually, I'll call it Blood on the Porch. Okay. Blood on the Porch is what I wrote it as. That's what it said on the original script, Blood on the Porch. So I wrote that in four days. I literally sat down 22, 23 pages a night. Um, I did two nights, took three or four nights off. I didn't know how it was going to end. I don't do outlines. I don't do anything. I just sat down and did the last. I, I, I wrote it in four nights. Um, it'd probably be better if I took longer. Not going to lie. I'm not saying that I'm a genius and it doesn't take me long to write. It's just that one just came out fast. And uh well, let me ask you this question. All right. If we're going to talk sure. about the writing process just for a moment. Sure, sure, all right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this. All right. Clayton, <laughs> easily for me, he, you know, he, he's, the, he's the, the character in the movie that I was really drawn to just, you know, and, and I'm a huge fan of Stephen Dorff, but, yeah. but, but before Stephen Dorff is ever cast in this film, tell me about the inspiration for, for writing the character of Clayton. You know, I think, uh, and, and we can also get to this, but I think unapologetically, I made some homages, um, some overt homages, as far as I'm concerned, to movies that I love. Whether well, it's No Country for Old Men, there's some Heller High Waters, some Place Beyond the Pines, there's some Donnybrook. Uh, you know, I love neo noirs, and so Clayton was this mashup of just all of these kind of iconic characters that I love, and then it's also infused with, you know. Uh, characters that I've always wanted to write. 
And then, uh, you know, then when it actually came to the movie, what he wears and everything, that's all, uh, it's all the, the person who he became in my head. Uh, and I think any writer, you know, I, I don't really know who Clayton is until I start writing. And then he becomes who he is. But he was definitely inspired by, uh, you know, he's like five or six characters all rolled into one. And I, I, I picked and choose, chose and, you know, kind of created him from that and my southern roots. And I wanted those to play into it. And him and Bodie and Shelby all have these uh, little attributes of uh, different grandpas and uncles and cousins. And they all kind of, you know, I took from all of that and created them. But yeah, Clayton was really special. Um, he was a special character, and uh, it's what got Dwarf involved too, because he fell in love with Clayton as well. Which segues right into how the casting got done and how it got made was was through Dorf. But so, uh, who's the first one to come on board, Dorf? So Dorf read it. Um, you know, I got the phone call from Dorf, and it's like, all right, you know, hey Nick, you know, <laughs> you gonna fuck this up? <laughs> you know, it was kind of that because you know I'm a first time uh, first time director. I don't know shit. Nobody, uh, nobody trusts me. It's all that. And a funny story about that is, 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 you know, he called, he's a really nice dude. Um, we got along right away, but, uh, he said, you know what? I'll be honest. Um, he's like, I don't know if I want to be Shelby or if I want to be Clayton. He's like, I, I don't know which I was like, all right, well, I want you to be Clayton. And I got an actor who I want for Shelby. And he's like, well, blue. <laughs> I said, I want Shelby Fernandez, uh, Shelby, sorry. Shiloh Fernandez. I want Shiloh Fernandez. Uh, and he goes, yeah, fuck yeah. Yep, I'm in. Let's go. Let's do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the conversation basically ended there. Well, I got a phone call from the producer right after. And he was like, did you tell Dorf who you want to be the lead? I said, yeah. And he was like, fuck, man. He called me. And the first thing he says, like, boy, that guy's got some balls on him. <laughs> and I guess... Because that he said he didn't know if he wanted to be the the lead or Clayton, and I said I want you for this. I want this other kid. And he said, "Man, if he would have said some other dumb actor, I would have walked in there because I don't trust him." He's like, "But I think Shiloh Fernandez is perfect." And he was like, "I'm in." He's like, "If I know he's got that taste level, and I know he's going to like choose Shiloh for that, who's perfect, yeah. then I'm in." So funny enough, I mean, that's uh, you know, kind of didn't register that I was maybe taking this chance by telling him. I just. I thought Shiloh was so perfect for this. And, uh, and you know, luckily he did too. And then he got in and then uh, he sent it to Travolta. Kind of the same thing. Travolta called me up. was like, all right. So different types of questions, very different people, yeah. Travolta and uh, Dorf. Um, you know, Travolta is, you've spoken to him and I listened to the podcast with him on it with you. And, you know, he's very sweet. He's very caring. Yeah. He's very sensitive. And uh, he wanted to know why I wanted to make the movie and why that. That was important and why the characters, you know, which is a really fun conversation to have with somebody like John Travolta. And uh, and then, you know, he I, I guess I said enough right things. He's like, all right. Yep. I'm in. I was uh, friends with Ashley Benson. I texted her actually when we were in pre-production. I texted her the script and I said, hey, you, you'd be kind of great for this. Uh, you know, there's basically no money in it. And she responded after she read the script in like an hour and a half. She's like, yeah, I'm coming. I'm in. I don't care what I get paid. I don't like, I'm lucky enough to be able to do this. I want to make it. And I was like, oh, shit. All right. And then, uh, I mean, who else after that? Luke Wilson was actually signed on to do this. He was signed on to play Ben, who is the, uh, the deputy. And he dropped out about 10 days before principal. And then, uh, when Kevin Dillon signed in or signed on, uh, I just, as soon as he was interested, I was like, Trey, hundred yeah. percent. Like it was so clear. I had to do some tweaks and everything, but I, he was just such a perfect tray. And then uh, he did that. Uh, I mean, it, everything just started falling into place. And I got 
so lucky with cast because all of those cast uh all those actors are so fantastic um i'm so lucky to have them and then tim murphy has been i mean who's also amazing i mean i just lucked up Locked he, up. he did. He did. And, yeah. you know, I, I just brief real briefly. I'm originally from Halifax, Nova Scotia. When I was 15 mm-hmm. years old, my family, we moved to a very rural part of Tennessee. And I bring oh, this up, Nicholas, because when watching this film, I know it's it's set in Alabama. I know you filmed mm-hmm. in Georgia, but mm-hmm. there's a level of authenticity to to this movie that, you know, I just wanted to point out, I thought was incredible having lived and gone to high school and spent six years in a town of 2000, you know, 40 miles North of Knoxville, which was quite the culture shock for me coming from a city of 400,000. And I don't want to go back to the writing process, but I I do need to ask, you know, the decision to set it in, in, you know, small town, Alabama, where does that come from? Just from, you know, where you grew up? No, I, I keep saying this. It's a fun story, but this is a fun story too. Is uh, so I'm, you know, I'm on Instagram. I love cars. Cars is a big thing with me. Um, and I found these guys in Northern Alabama who rebuild muscle cars. And their whole thing, their kind of ethos is just fucking drive them, get them on the road. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you do it. Junkyard, get these old cars and go rip donuts in high school parking lots and drag race them and just have fun. And so I found these guys and I just kind of fell in love with their Instagram page. And so I DM'd them. I'm like, Hey man, I want to come and take photos of you. And he's like, the fuck, what do you mean? You want to come take photos of us? And uh, my buddy from New York met me uh, and we in Birmingham. And then we drove to Northern Alabama, which I had never been to Decatur or Huntsville. We drove up there and these dudes were just so sweet they took us in and for five days these strangers drove us around took us to backwood drag racing they took us to all their friends their shops their just everything and i just fell in love again i'm you know having spent my summers in mississippi the south is not foreign to me by any means but these people with the cars and the um the the, the small rural towns uh, so when I was there, I was like, oh, man, I, I got to set a movie here. It's just it, this is perfect. Northern Alabama, car culture, everything that revolved around it. It was just so perfect. And, uh, you know, I needed a the protagonist, the, you know, the the inciting incidents and whatnot. That's all just complete fiction. But uh, the town and the people in the cars was very important for me to get right. And hopefully I did it justice. And they th- they say I did. Yeah. And those guys ended up building the cars that are in the movie and those guys were on set with me the ones i met on instagram um it's his drag carts his money Carlo, uh money carlo that he runs at the beginning the the car that shelby drives that's that's austin's car who i met on instagram i mean they i'm still really tight with them they came to the premiere of the movie that's awesome let's talk yeah, about man. let's talk about the principal photography let's talk about the actual production mm-hmm. so you're in georgia how how long you got scheduled? How many days are you going to be shooting? You know, what kind of schedule you're so, working with? So look, the you know, Corey, you know the production, the production model. Yeah. Um, you know, they they call them geezer teasers. Um, this is a very specific type of thing that we did. And my whole thing with the producers and with the financiers, everything I said, let me give me that model, but let me just try to do something different with it. So when I wrote the film, I wrote it into that model knowing that we could get a name but if we got a name we're only going to give them for x amount of days so I, I i try to figure out how to be smart with that how to make him a main character without seeing him all the time um but bookending the film with his actions and with his words and you know all that so that's what i set out to do um but with that comes low budget incredibly tight uh schedules incredibly tight 
And so I knew what I was getting into, but I also had no fucking clue. Um, but everything happened as soon as Travolta read it and he was on, it was, we're off to the races. I mean, literally a week later I was in Georgia and we had two and a half weeks of pre-pro. That was it. And then we shot for 11 days of principal and that's it. It was, it was, it was unbelievably fast. Every aspect of it was fast. So I'm going to try to keep some of this conversation spoiler free because for the listeners mm-hmm. of the show, I want them, of course, I want everyone to watch this film. I mean, that's, that's one of the main reasons why I want to have you on the show. I wanted to, you know, obviously learn as much as I could about the film, but I also want people to yeah. watch the movie. So there are some things that I'm going to keep spoiler free. Having sure. said that, you know, just the opening, the opening shot of the film going into the drag race is an incredible shot. I know movies are not traditionally shot in sequential, in sequential order, things like that. But what was your first shot? What was your last shot? I always like to ask that question. Oh, no, that's great. That's fun. Um, it's a funny story. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's a fun story. Uh, it's not fun. It's horrific and awful. But this made this is filmmaking at this level. We had the first location was the only day we had one location. It was the first one. And uh, 6 p.m. on Sunday night, the location fell out. And Monday morning was the first day of principal. And it was the kind of climax scene with the meeting of all the people. There's some violence. It's that entire scene. It's a pretty heavy lift between Shiloh and Stephen in the car together. It's a pretty emotional uh, conversation. It's all of that that was supposed to happen. And and it fell out at 6 p.m. Uh, my DP and I run, get in the car, drive 30 minutes to Winder, Georgia. And luckily, uh, the guy who owned the lot across the street from where we were going to shoot, where we were going to set up base camp, was like, why don't y'all just check out my 300 acres? And we went and found that spot. So that was the very for the very first scene we shot was uh, the two of them sitting in the Cadillac together yeah. uh, towards the end of the film. That was the very first thing we shot. Okay. Um, and... The very last thing we shot were the hands. Yep. Um, okay. You know, doing what they do. Yes. Um, yep. Which uh, a funny story. Go on. Uh, <laughs> Travolta. Uh, the AD took pictures of Travolta's hands because we knew that we wouldn't have him to shoot this shot. And so when we were sitting there, we're, we all put our hand, hands in. And evidently, my hands are the closest to Travolta's. So it's my hands that actually uh, do the action at the front, at the beginning and into the film. <laughs> but that's that's what we did first and last. What would be, again, keeping it spoiler free if possible, what would sure. you consider to be the most challenging shot that you had to do? Oh, every single one. Okay. I mean, even the inserts was incredibly difficult just because of the time crunch. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I would say probably some of the ones with... Um, three or four actors at once, just being a first time director, not understanding the level of attention that I needed to give to each actor and the level of, uh, or the needs of each actor and how vastly different they can be um, minute to minute. And in a scene where you have one actor that wants to rehearse, one actor that doesn't, one actor that wants to get coverage done first because it's an emotional scene for them or like you know they're tight stunned and then uh one action that would prefer to uh you know use the first uh one two or three takes as a rehearsal and then one that does it it's figuring all of that out very quickly as a first time director it was a it was a master master class or you know trial by fire whatever you want to say in um in directing because it was like oh shit okay 
it's egos and i don't mean egos yeah. it's bigger you know it's just it's 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 all of us it's personalities um and then my personality my ego involved in me wanting to make the film i wanted to make and just balancing that out um wow i i i say all the time that directing i've found has been a couple things it's constant cost benefit analysis and it's manipulation and it's manipulation of time and space and personalities in order to get what you need to tell the story and so all of the the shots were challenging but with all the actors was pretty difficult for me at least so i'm going to ask this question and I'm, I'm going to base it off of something that Travolta told me when I when I talked to him. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot of actors will, will read a script and they will take the character and they'll make the character their own. They'll basically, mm-hmm. you know, they'll have a conversation with the writers, the directors, and they'll say, you know, but, but they'll they'll come in with a sort of preconceived notion of how to do that character. Oh, for sure. And I'm wondering, was that the case with, with Mobland? And mm-hmm. was there... Was there anybody that you felt like you needed to sort of point in a different direction or were you pretty satisfied with the way that they presented their characters initially? Uh, no, it's a great question. I'd like to think I, I told them all um, Travolta, Dorf, Kevin, Ashley, Shiloh, Tim. I mean, I told everybody, I said, look, like when we get down to this, I'm not going to be able to direct in the traditional sense. It's just not going to happen on this time schedule. Yeah. And so I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do everything possible ahead of time whether it's text messages, conversations with y'all, and then it's uh, the actual locations, the props, the cars, the sets, everything that I can control to give those actors the space to do what they need. Um, I'll take care of you know the DP and the framing and the lighting, just trying to do all that ahead of time because I said, I'm just not going to have time. And so anything we can do ahead of time, you know, is going to be instrumental. That's where the heavy lifting was going to come from. Um, and, and they all were, you know, they all were absolutely. Some wanted more, more conversations with me beforehand. Some didn't. Um, Travolta uh, asked for photos of some of my relatives I based Bodhi on. He wanted to talk about uh, my relationship with them and what I thought about them. And, um, you know, that was really fun because none of the actors really wanted that. Dorf, I mean, I told Dorf, he had such a good understanding of who Clayton was. I mean, that role was... I want to say it was written for him, but it wasn't, but it was, uh, you know, he's, he, it was just so perfectly him. He didn't need much. I mean, honestly, that guy first take, we did the entire conversation in one take. That was the first thing we did. I said, just let it run. And I was just watching the two of them go being like, Oh shit. You know, that's Shelby and Clayton. I don't need to do anything. You know, I, I, they all did so, so well at coming prepared. I think the only kind of thing, um, you know, Ashley, uh, had a different idea of who Caroline was. Um, but it's so funny. She comes from TV, um, pretty little liars, you know, all that. So she literally, she was like, I don't care if you fucking line read me, you tell me exactly what you want so we can get this done. And I'm here for it. You know? Um, so I gave her maybe one piece of direction and she was, it was turned around. It was great. It was done. You know, she owned it and she had it. And then, uh, Kevin, uh, we kind of pivoted quick on a couple things. Um, some ideas that, uh, you know, off the top of, uh, just getting a sense of the scene and everything. The very first take he did, I changed a few things. Uh, the New York angle, I said, let's lean into that. Let's own it. Um, and he's so lovely and fun to be around that uh, I think he was able, he was able to kind of chill out a little bit when I told him, uh, I think he, he, he maybe thought he needed to be a little bit tougher 
And once I knew he was involved, I said, no, like we're going to lean into the fact that everyone who watches this probably watched Entourage yeah. and they already love you. So we can get dark and we can have you do some fucked up shit and people are still going to love you for it. So I was like, we're going to lean into that and uh, lean into the manipulation of the audience in that way. And that was um, the thing with his character, because I immediately it's like Johnny drama. That's that's who I'm seeing. Right? I mean, and, but then quickly <clears throat> that. Uh, quickly evolves into oh no wait a second no nope. pump the brakes a little bit Dana he's yeah totally and he's brilliant in the movie absolutely brilliant he's he's so good he loves it thank God and you know his manager loves it she she wrote me a really sweet email and you know, he's good in it everyone's just good and I think it's uh you know thank God I wrote a script that wasn't dog shit and I think they all kind of enjoyed but they all had their own unique characters to kind of bite into and. I mean, there's not a lot I would change, um, even looking back with the characters and with the acting. It's just, God, it was so fun to watch all of them do it. I mean, look, it's my first movie, so everything's still, you know, like New York City when you're like seven years old looking up. It's like, it's all magical. It still is. Don't fuck that up for me, Dana. No, no, no. (laughs) No, uh, Let me... Let me ask you this, because this is an eleven day shoot. All right, so I, I want to get yeah. into in, into the mind of of Nicholas for a moment here. Okay, yeah, so yeah. eleven days. All right, all right. I'm gonna fire three questions at you real quick. First question is, what's going through your mind the morning you wake up, the first day of shooting? Okay, what's going through your mind the last day, and then the middle question is going to be, what is the cast and crew doing when you guys aren't filming during that eleven mm-hmm. days, and what are you doing? Oh, Jesus. Um, You know, what's funny is, thank God, I don't know shit. Because I think the morning, you know, I've done so many commercials of the music videos, I've done campaigns, you know, whatever it is. Thank God I was just naive. (laughs) Because the first, I mean, I was putting out fires left and right. And then, you know, having the first day, the location fall out. But I think I woke up, you know, super nervous, but really excited. And just, um, I had to kind of tap into the part of my ego that's like please i fucking got this because i think you have to it's self-preservation it's, you got no fucking choice but to deliver um so i think i was trying to lean into that um trying to hype myself up a little bit yeah because very quickly it's like oh yeah you don't know shit and this is like uh but yet you kind of can't let people think that i mean i can tell you fun stories but uh, and then I had Dwarf in my face yelling at me first day of filming my feature film, my first feature film. I got Dwarf fucking going crazy on me because he's Dwarf and that's what he does. And he's intense as fuck. And, um, you know, so then I had that, too. And so I got everything day one. OK, I love that. That's good. I'm I'm picturing Dorf. I'm just picture. Oh, God. OK. All right. That oh, was like you trust me. You that. can. Uh, he's you know, it's 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 pretty funny and we can. I can give you a little of that, but he's, uh, you know, he's such an intense guy. Um, but I was, I had already shot, you know, five hours, six, and he, he got really, really heated about something because he couldn't do what he wanted to do physically because the actor he was playing against is like 78 years old yeah. and the physicality that he wanted and felt like he needed to give, he couldn't physically. And so I, he didn't trust that my saw for it, I think at the time, would play out on screen. And so he was getting really frustrated. So I knew where his frustration was coming from. And finally I had to be like, look, man, I fucking get it. I know this is stressful to trust me, but like, I will not fuck this up for you. I will not make you look stupid. And so I think once I kind of hit him with a little empathy and everything, he was like, all right, you know, let's, let's, let's get this done. 
And I didn't. I, I think the the scene that I'm talking about looks great. Oh, no, and he was able to get physical. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no. I know exactly the scene you're talking about. Since it was the first day of shooting, you already explained what that scene was. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, uh, you know, I'm going to just say this movie does have a, a couple of what I call audible what the fuck moments in it where I was just like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. And that is one of the great scenes in the movie where he is, uh, for lack of a better, he's had enough. And, you know, totally. yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, I, and I love that. And I'm being vague as possible because people that sure. see the movie will know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. The, I'm going to go to the last question next, which was, okay. okay, you're done shooting for the day, each day, 11 day shoot. What's the cast and crew doing during the downtime? And what are you doing? I mean, wait, so you're going to the end, right? Yeah. The last go, day, well, no, no, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm oh, going go, to go middle, the middle. Yeah. What are you guys doing? What's everyone doing when you're not shooting and what are you Dude, doing? Honestly, I, I don't remember what the fuck everyone's doing okay. I, because all I would do is I would literally lie in the grass and just be like, whoa, try to recenter myself. If you will. Like it was just, it was such a whirlwind. Um, and I'll be honest, like I said, I love movies. I'm a film nerd. I'm such a, I, I love movies and I would literally grab my DP who Nick Matthews, who I love to death. I'd be like, listen, I get it. We're stressed. We got three hours of sleep in like six weeks, but like, holy shit, dude, we're making a movie. Like this is so much fun. And so I did make sure that I enjoyed it. And my, my fiance was great at doing that too. You know, you're making a fucking movie. Shut up. You know, it's like nothing matters. You're making a movie. You're doing what you want to do. So I did make sure to do that. But honestly, I, it was such a blur that, I remember so, uh, you know, such a detail about certain things. And then I think there's whole days that I probably don't even remember because I was just running off of instinct and adrenaline. Okay. Tell me what. And so anyone else, fuck, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> okay, I love it. <laughs> when you yell, that's a wrap, what's going through your mind? Oh, man, it was it was late. It was 2 a.m., 3 a.m. We're on somebody's front lawn that, you know, the location manager asked to uh, double as a little spot and I, it was, you know, I think it was funny because it was okay. By that point, I knew, holy shit, like, I think we might have pulled something off. This isn't a train wreck. Like, okay, like, I, I felt good. I was like, you know, I, I was watching performances. Like, oh shit. Like, I, we got everything. We didn't, uh, I mean, we basically shot the script I and mean, we didn't miss anything. I was like, I know I have enough to tell the story. I was like, oh, damn, we might have done this. But it was also, as soon as we wrapped, I remember I was like, oh, that's not even half. I mean, that's not even close to a quarter of what I got to do now. Yeah. But it was also exciting because I've done enough commercials. I've done enough uh, things that I know that so much happens um, in the edit. You know, that's where everything comes out. Okay. So you have wrapped, but that is just the beginning. Like you mentioned, it's you know, it's 11 day shoot, but now we're going to get into post-production, which is, you know, everything from the editing to the sound mix to the color grading, everything, the deliverables. Yeah. I mean, take me through the process from the last day of shooting to when you lock picture and how involved are you? And is it a seven day a week adventure? Yeah, no, I mean, I was very involved um, because I wanted to be, I, I fought to be involved. Um, Dorf fought for me to be involved. Um, again, when you're at this level, uh, first time director, you got to eat a lot of shit. You know, we all love the movie layer cake. Yeah. I'm at the, uh, I'm at the bottom and I'm eating a lot of shit on the layer cake. And so Dorf was instrumental in, uh, making sure that, um, I got the editor I wanted. He really trusted me by the end of this thing. Thank God. So, uh, he went to bat for me a few times, but he made sure I got the editor I wanted just kind of helped keep an eye on things um within reason at the beginning uh so i brought on brian gainer who's 
he was a friend of Shiloh. Shiloh gave me his name. I watched two of his movies and I was like, shit, he did a couple of things. I was like, that's interesting. And after we talked, he read the script and he was like, oh, I love this. I'm in. Very quickly, Brian Gaynor, once I even saw the first cut, uh, you know, everyone is terrified of their first cut. And I was and I hated it. But he did enough things in the film that I didn't know were even possible. Little things. I was like, fuck, that's a good idea. Um, that I knew that he I'd made the right call. He's such a great editor. Um, so started with that. Uh, David Steinberg, I got him involved as composer. He's a guy I knew. And um, I think he did a, a great job scoring. I called in every favor and got music from every band that, that I know. Everyone gave their music for free because we had no budget for it. Luckily, I think, you know, I like to think the movie is decent. And so when uh, sound designer, when uh, Chris Smith got the first cut, he watched it and was like, oh, I want to do this. It's not enough money. You guys don't have enough money for me, but like I'm in. And him and his friend who got involved, they had done some John Wick. They did Revenant. I mean, they did amazing stuff. And so we had, I had really good people involved because luckily people like the cut that Brian did. And, uh, you know, we we're able to get some really good talent and, you know, people who I wanted because I didn't want it to just be a, a classical, you know, cheap score with some sound effects. I was very, very particular about things. Um, and so luckily, you know, I kind of bullied my way into letting uh, everyone uh, let me do that, you know, as a first time director. Nicholas, it shows. Yeah. Every, everything shows because and I, I want to be cautious in how I say this. All right. I watch. I've said this before. I watch a lot of DTV, you know, movies, and I know I know you use the term, you know, geezer teaser or things like that. And I I watch I watch those movies. Um, oh, I, I do too. I, I do too. I I, I, I know it. Yeah. A special place in my heart for them. Totally. This movie doesn't fall into that category for me. Okay, like this is a gritty crime neo noir movie yeah. that I had said to anyone that will listen. Like this is going to take you back to that independent time in the nineties. And and I have not seen a movie like this in several years. I mean, it just really it really got me. And it's one of these ones where I'm texting everybody I know, like, watch this, watch this. You're 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 going to be surprised. I'm telling you, this thing is really fucking good. Now let's get to the premiere. I mean, when you when you screen <laughs> this, the cast and crew screening, tell, take me through all of that. So you you've you've locked the picture. You're happy with it. <laughs> What? Lock the picture, you know, and of course, I think Travolta was the only one contractually, I believe, I don't remember what it, I don't think he could give notes. Um, he couldn't uh, say you have to change this, but I think the contract, whatever it was like, hey, you'll be listened to. Yeah. <laughs> and so Travolta called me after he watched it. Um, in fact, he called Dorf first and Dorf took a screen drop, uh, screen grab of the text message and sent it to me. And it was basically, and I hadn't talked to John since he said, I actually didn't even know he got that cut. I thought we were going to wait for another one. The Dorf, it was basically like, thank you so much for pushing this and for giving me this script. We made a fantastic film together. And I was like, oh shit, he likes it. That's great. Um, and then I got a phone call from John and, um, he had a couple small notes and you know, they were all good notes. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know more about filmmaking than a seasons, uh, you know, movie star for four decades or whatever. But no, he he had a couple notes, but he was like, "Hey, man, you pulled it off." Like he said, "This is." Uh, he said uh, to Dorf, "He said this is one of the my uh, one of the my favorite films I've watched in a long time." And uh, you know, of course, I cited some 
some inspirations and references um, in this. And he was, I'm not going to name him for this, but he said, I'll tell you right now, I like our film better than any of those. So, which is very sweet of him. It's his film, but hey, I'll take it. Distribution. I mean, this is something that, that Corey's going to handle, right? Is that, is that, is that pretty much how the distribution model works when he's, when he comes on as producer? Well, funny. So, you know, Corey had done those Bruce Willis films and, um, you know, nothing against those, uh, against those. I'm friends with Edward Drake, the writer, director of those fantastic. It's a whole nother art form yeah. what he does for those i mean look because i think you and i are so close to an age to so close together in age like we grew up on the action films and so when we watch those films the the bruce willis films it's like we know what they are and what they're trying to be and we know what they're not trying to be and that's why i love them so much yeah um you know i, I saw the interview and tarantino said the same thing about the bruce willis films he was like what are you these are fantastic kind of pulpy action films exactly what they're supposed to be yeah um i didn't want to make that and 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 it's not because they're bad or anything i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna keep caveating but i just, i knew i want to make something different but i love those fucking films man so saban was involved before this thing even got shot so once we got everybody involved we were we were financed because of it was basically pre-sold yeah um so we knew that we had a buyer for it um so we knew saban was going to be handling it and then once it all got turned in um, they got Lionsgate involved. Lionsgate took it, and then it's going to be on Hulu in uh, December. Awesome. So Hulu got it also. Um, so a few more eyes will get on it and everything. But, you know, it's it's funny because you're catching me. I haven't done a podcast in a couple of weeks, and you're catching me after, uh, you know, my film has been reviewed, um, and my film re- has been um, negatively reviewed and positively and positive. reviewed. And my whole emotional reaction to that has been it's been really wild because I didn't know how I was going to handle it all because it's my first. And so that's been a fucking roller coaster. Um, I have this newfound hate for film critics, but at the same time, I have this understanding of um, their place and, and, you know, of, um, and, 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 and why they're important. So it's, it's this whole new relationship that I didn't know I was going to have. But it's funny. My only, the only reason I bring this up is when you said, you know, maybe it's in a different category than some of those other films. And again, not better, not worse. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, Different. And, you know, I, I, somebody said the other day, they said, your film is being talked about even in some of the, um, you know, I mean, fucking Rotten Tomatoes, Jesus, but you know, some of the ones that got a splat, if you read them, I I look at them as positive reviews. I'm like, you know, they're like, Hey, this film is not quite no country for old men. I'm like, yeah, I'll fucking take that, bro. (laughs) Like it's not a mid career fucking masterpiece that took 30 million and 60 you know it's like what the fuck sure so somebody said the other day they said you know your film is getting knocked for not being a fucking neo-noir masterpiece and it's but it's i'd rather take that than being praised at being like that's a really good film for having been shot in 11 days and for a b movie and for you know all that so it's like we're being discussed at least with some pretty epic films and you know we got well reviewed we're like 33 34 reviews variety times um you know IndieWire. so it's like people took it seriously yeah. and i think that's been just an overall win for me is that uh, again not better not worse whatever it is but it's just it's being considered i think um as a film that lives in a a world with some pretty amazing films as far as i'm concerned yeah and i'm gonna second all of that because 
again, and I don't consider myself to be a film critic, Nicholas. I consider myself to sure, be a sure. passionate cinema lover. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, look, a perfect day for me would be watching eight Canon films in a row on a Sunday doing nothing. You know, that sounds like a great day to me. So my, my point, my, when it comes to the podcast, my thing has always been, you know, if I'm not a fan of a particular movie, I'm just not going to talk about it. I'm not going to, not going to, you know, somebody sends me a film. I'll always say, Hey, listen, I'll watch it. And if, you know, I want to have you on the show, I'll have you on the show. And if I don't, I don't, but I don't make it a point to, to, to critique things because it takes a lot to make a movie. And it takes a hell of a lot to make it under the circumstances I mean, you made it under. And it's, it, I'm, I'm glad you say that because I'm like, yeah, right. But it's funny. I, I, I always say this. I tell people it's like a food critic saying like, I fucking hate peaches. I'll take the peach cobbler. <laughs> you know, and then they're like, ew, that peach cobbler is disgusting. Don't go to this restaurant. It's like, motherfucker, you don't like peaches. Like, don't eat it then. And so that's how I feel with a lot of the critics. It's like, you know, it's either like, oh, John Travolta's new movie, Saban. Okay, it better be fucking amazing. You know, or it's, well, I don't like movies like this. So let's see what they did. You know, it's like, well, don't watch it then. It's not for you. Because I think people who, and I say this, people who like it, it was made for them because it's a specific audience. People who don't like it, I don't, it's not your thing. Yeah. And La La Land is unwatchable to me. It's probably, I know it's an amazing film objectively it's i'm sure it's a fantastic film i get that i can't watch it but i will watch fast and furious 25 times in a year it's so funny he said la la land because i was about to say well you'll have to tell me because i've never seen it it's just not something i've ever wanted to watch look i i i turned it off two minutes in does that mean that director is not a national treasure like of course he is he makes a movie whiplash was amazing i get it (laughs) it's like like i get it and and objectively i understand just means it's not for me like i fucking hate nirvana it doesn't mean they didn't change music forever yeah (laughs) yeah get what they did so so nicholas i could i know we're a little pressed for time i'm looking at the clock right now i would uh I could talk to you for a few hours. So we're, we're going to have to do this again sometime. Love to have yeah, you come yeah, back on the show and just shoot the shit Absolutely. for a couple hours and just Absolutely. talk movies. But yeah, I yeah. have to ask because, again, just to keep going back to the first person I text after I watched the movie was John. And it was yeah, just like, yeah, hey, yeah, you got to yeah. know how much I love this movie. And I ended that message by saying, I can't wait to see what Nicholas does next <laughs> because <laughs> you have sweet. firmly planted yourself on my radar. And my radar is not that big. Like there's a few writer directors that I really keep an eye out for. And you are now on that, on that very, very short list. So, (laughs) so what is next for you? Like what is next? Yeah. uh, I mean, I have a few scripts. Um, I have a, I have one or two out that I probably don't want to direct that uh, if they got made, I'd be happy to see what somebody can do with them. Not really my thing. You know, it's funny. I I have one that it was, uh, it was the first one that Corey had that I, I love it to death. It's uh it's dark and gritty and noir and violent and beautiful and poetic. Uh, takes place in L.A. You know, ex-LAPD cop. He's older now. It's it's a very, very um, noir. And that's what I wanted my next one to be. And then I started writing. And so I'm about 75 pages in. Uh, I'm almost done with this new one that I'm writing that I absolutely want to do next. So, you know, it's kind of like, well... Uh, Dorf wants to do another one. Um, he'd be great at either of these. You know, I would love to work with Dorf again. Uh, so it's kind of like, you know, I'm I'm not, not that I'm not trying to hurry up and do something, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, you know, Corey wants to do another one with me. We can get it financed. So it's just kind of a matter of figuring out what's right. Uh, it's kind of like, hey, if the right actors sign up, then uh, 
Dog Days of Heaven is the name of the script. You know, I'd love to shoot Dog Days next. And if not, then, um, you know, if I can get this other one finished, I think it'll be, it would be really fun. It's a comedy um, that I'm writing and it's dark as fuck and violent. And, you know, it's still a very much a neo-noir, but it's, you know, there's elements of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's dark comedy as well. So it's really, I'm having a blast writing it. I love the characters. And, you know, we'll kind of see. I hope to do one of those next. Um, I don't always want to direct my own material. It's not that important to me. I think I just haven't read a script yet that speaks to me the same way that mine do. Um, I think that's probably a lot of directors. But, um, you know, I'm open to reading something and hoping that it's like, oh, man, I would love to tell that story, you know. I love it, man. Hey, listen. Yeah. I know you have an incredibly busy schedule right now. I really appreciate you taking just a little time out of your day to, to just kind of talk to me about the, the filmmaking process. I find that incredibly fascinating. It's one of the reasons I started this podcast was to get an opportunity to talk to people like you. So, so thank you. Thank you for the amazing movie that you made. You know, I've seen it five times. I'm, I'm going to watch it again. You mentioned it's going to be on Hulu soon, but it's currently available video on demand pretty much anywhere you can get your VOD movies. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I think it's a, I think uh, Amazon just dropped the price back down. You know, they start them high at yeah. 20 bucks. I mean, I think iTunes might be down to five ninety nine or whatever. And then Hulu, I think December 3rd. Okay. So if you have Hulu, it should be kind of front page for at least, you know, a few days or something. Okay, so we're awesome. hoping. Any, uh, any Even social- though the cover sucks, but... <laughs> Any, don't give me started on the uh, fucking cover data we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the next time you come on the show we'll talk about <laughs> great because the title and the cover were not my fucking idea guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> social media anybody want to follow you on social media can they yeah, do that it's just my name nicholas maggio at nicholas maggio it's a lot of my uh you know i don't do a lot of personal it's most of my uh commercial work sometimes yeah. some photos but yeah i mean hey dm me Hey, hey, listen, I did. It worked out. You're here on the show. I appreciate <laughs> you, man, sure. so much. So, Nicholas, thanks for doing the Dana Buckler Show. We will talk soon, okay? Absolutely. Thanks for loving the movie. Absolutely. All right. And my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.